DJ PK and David Locke, jazz radio broadcaster, joining us. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. PK's got a How little. Are you? PK's got a little time off, so you're gonna have to deal with me. I admire him for his use of vacations. Spotting it Very, wisely. He's, he's he's high on the efficiency scale. Exactly, exactly. Spotting it wisely. Very efficient. All right, David, let's start off with business before we get to the hoops. The Adelaide 36ers are coming in, and I, I get, you know, you want to build the game across, you know, around the world and all that. And so this is probably a deal back in Australia, and there's two Australian players, so it's great. I get that. It's not terribly competitive. When they played these foreign teams in the past, they seem to win by 30 or 40 while playing the entire roster. So there isn't that much to get out of this. I'm a little surprised the NBA doesn't send more teams overseas for the preseason. I'm a little surprised the NBA doesn't send everybody overseas. You know, a week and a half, two weeks before the regular season opener. They have time to adjust when they come back. Is there any, uh, any thought to doing that? Because we are seeing games played in multiple countries now. That is my has always been my theory. I would actually... Do if I was to take it even further, I might do preseason at home and then send. Uh, it gets a lot easier when we if we would just add Seattle and Vancouver and move on with it. It would be a lot easier. We have thirty-two teams, and these things would be easier. Um, I would then take uh, eight locations, maybe the same eight locations every year. Frankly, um, so you're talking Beijing, Tokyo, Barcelona, Paris. Um, you know, whatever eight major cities that have. Uh, good enough arenas, London, and have the Tokyo Cup, and have the Beijing Cup, and have the Paris Cup, and open the year with um, two games in a tournament, four-team tournament, at those locations that actually count for the regular season. And that's how I would open the season. Uh, we always struggle. We push the season up forward. We're in the middle of the NFL and college basketball, or NFL, excuse me, NFL and um, Major League Baseball playoffs. If they, if anyone still watches that, and we're, you know, we're in a, we're, we're not. I don't think we don't resonate. So let's go overseas, resonate worldwide, um, start the season, then come back and probably take a ten-day window before we actually then start the the season again with the home game schedules, let everyone get there over their jet lag and kind of almost have another home training camp and go. And that would be my answer to this, that maybe maybe we play some little games at home and things like that first just to get ready or almost like the way the NFL does with inter-squad scrimmages and then go overseas, play two games, but have the – maybe it's by division, you know, and the divisions rotate. And so Oklahoma City, Portland, and Minnesota and Utah all go um, to – Paris one year and they go to Tokyo the next and they go to Barcelona the year after that and they go to Dubai the year after that or they go to you know somewhere in India the year after that. So you mentioned inter-squad scrimmages. The Jazz have one. Did you get to watch it? And if so, did you figure anything out? Because there's some new faces and there's stuff to figure out. When did they do that? I heard they did it earlier this week. Is that not true? Well, I guess. I mean, they play five on five a lot and Okay, that's good enough. What'd you learn? Did so, they bring it? Did um, they bring in refs? Yeah, I mean they always like they always have refs um, around. That's just kind of a common thing. Um, they had two guys that are G League college guys. I actually got to talk to them for a while, and there was a woman here as well. Um, so they, yeah, they'll bring in refs. Um, 
that's that's not uncommon. I think everyone does that. It's good for the refs too, frankly. Um, so it's you know they're playing, but it's not always. Um, I don't know. I, I sometimes might learn more out of how they're doing a drill or doing something of that nature or doing some different things than always the five on five. I don't think I learned. Like I don't think I learned a great deal. Um, Donovan, you know, the other, yesterday was really funny that Boyan can really shoot it. Like okay, like we knew this. He's, I mean, he's Hornacek asking the shooting really. So you go look at his shooting compared to Jeff when Jeff came to us. I, I think there's a chance he could have a similar impact on this team. He's not, and he's a decent ball handler. And that's the one that jumps out to me, David, more than anything else about this team. We've talked about the shooting so much and how much better the shooting is. It's really actually how much more playmaking there is, right? So the Jazz were the only team in the NBA that started two players that couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, and couldn't really pass. Like, Derek got better at it, and Rudy's trying, but really couldn't. And then the guys they had coming off the bench of that position who have all sorts of strengths, but shooting, dribbling, and passing were not strengths of Tabo Cephalosha and Jay Crowder. If the ball went on the deck for more than two dribbles, with either of them, the third one was a was a unlashed, but you know, was was getting into an adventure zone, right? Like, um, and so now you have your guys who are going to play the four are Jeff Green, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, and Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal is probably the least good dribbling and passer of that group, and he's pretty good. So that to me is really um, what's the biggest change on this team. Any worries that the team is uh, smaller? They, that was a big, long, tough team in the past. And to get the skill, they had to give up a little of the size. How much does that bother you, if it does bother you? No, I, think, I think that's real. I mean, there's still, like, so we're putting the defense on Rudy's shoulder, and Ed, and Ed Davis is probably as good and tough of backup center as there is in the NBA. And so, you know, <clears throat> can, the, can the group defend? Now, statistically, the, over the large sample size of multiple years, the Jazz have been better defensively when Rudy is on the floor with a small than he is with favors. And it is, I haven't thought about this recently until somebody tipped this off to me. And that is, you know, as much as we've always talked about the favors go bear defensive numbers and how great they are, they're a little misleading because they're always in the first six minutes of the first and third quarter when a team's never in the penalty and the most efficient possession is free throws. And if you actually look at the Gobert favors team defensively, the number one thing that jumps out is how, how low the foul rate is. And the foul rate's so low because they only played the first five, six minutes of quarters and, and they were huge. And so they didn't, so it's both skill Right, they deserve like that matters that they were both so big they could just hold verticality. You didn't get to the rim and you didn't draw fouls, but they also were never in the, you know, they were never in uh, bonus, and so therefore it it wasn't something that you that they had to worry about. So there's a little bit where that number. I've always been talking about the number of how good the Jazz defense was without Gobert, or excuse me, without favors on the floor with Gobert, and worried that my number was inaccurate because of the fact that it what didn't include minutes against starters. And someone pointed out to me that maybe those numbers are actually, the other numbers are inaccurate because they are never playing teams that are in the bonus. I thought that was pretty interesting. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, you know, there's a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of money, actually, put into player development. Are any of the guys who are out of sight, out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, 
kind of 11 through 15 on the roster, going to play their way into much bigger roles and uh, surprise fans? Well, let's hope not, because if someone puts themselves into a much bigger role than either somebody was terrible or got hurt, hurt, right? Like at the, at this point in time, um, you know, they're, they're, if some if one of these guys, none of those guys are like projected to be stars. So if they're if they're moving into a much bigger role, um, that would be that would be a problem. I do think that Mia One is going to work his way into the rotation. He's not having like a brilliant camp or anything, but he's just a lot more athletic than I think people realize. Donovan pointed that out yesterday in the media session. Um, I, I think that he is um, versatile so that he could, if, you know, Dante's not ready to go and Moody tweaks an ankle, you could probably play One while at the two or even with some ball handling skills while sliding Donovan or Joe over to the one. You could play, if, somebody you know turns an ankle and we need backup two minutes i think one could play that so there's multiple ways for him to get on the floor and i think he's athletic enough that he'll be able to hold his own and i think he's bright enough that he'll be able to adjust his game to what's needed which is always a big ask for a rookie who's come with a high usage rate i don't think he'll struggle with that so i think uh to his credit i think uh he will probably be the one that works his way into some minutes and then just the way injuries work consistently kind of is out there this year David Locke, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Jazz. Uh, PK and I were uh, looking at some of the stuff Vegas is putting out about the NBA, and under the theory that there's a lot of money at stake, uh, they really try to drill down and get it right. Uh, but they can be a little off because they are reflecting what fans think, trying to split the money on each side of a bet. So there's a little wiggle room there. But we saw that they gave the Jazz a 10% chance of winning the NBA title. That was the fourth best chance of anybody in the league. And the best at 25% was the Clippers. And 25% didn't feel like a big number when you think how heavily favored the Heat were and the Warriors were and even going back to Kobe's Lakers. Do you feel like 10% is about right? How hopeful should fans be? And is that the right ballpark? I mean, I just think it's a it's a mosh pit, really, because I think just we could be as good as I think we're going to be and be fifth, and we could be as good as I think we're going to be and be first in the West. Like, I think there's a there's a really good chance that we end up first in the West, and I think there's a really good chance we end up fifth in the West. And I'm not even sure that we determine it. So what I mean by that is if the Clippers, you know, stay healthy and get a lot of game, get more games out of Paul George than it seems right now, or in the Kawhi doesn't load, they, they could be, you know, they could be better than us. And Houston could easily be better than us. And Denver's loaded with talent. And I thought they, you know, they have a bunch of statistical things that say they got a little lucky last year, but they also could get better. They're the youngest team of this group who's been together and has the togetherness. I don't think that's as much of a positive as everybody else does, but we'll see. Um, In fact, I think it's a negative, but that's, you know, time will tell. Um, The Lakers could be great. And so if those four teams are all really good, we could be really good and be fifth in the Western Conference. Um, we also could be, like, number two in the Western Conference and then get the Warriors in the first round with a healthy Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. and be, you know, who knows? So um, I think it's just such a wide-ranging aspect of things. I, do, I, I would say this. My numbers projections offensively, which have generally been pretty good, 
um, and have been able to, to identify some things. Have us as the third best offensive team in the league behind Milwaukee and the Clippers. Um, I just tweeted out my top 20 at Locked On Sports on Twitter if anybody wants to see it. So that if, to your question earlier, if we can answer that positively, that despite our lack of size and our lack of rebounding, we're still elite defensively because of the big guy, uh, then we could be really great. Um, then we could be top, you know, Milwaukee will be top five in both categories and be the number one seed in the East. And we would probably be the other team that has a chance to be top five in both categories. Hmm. Is there uh, anybody in the West? We expect some of the lottery teams to get a lot better. Obviously, the Lakers are a lottery team. They're going to get a lot better. But is somebody like Dallas going to blow up? I mean, Porzingis is there. But is it their first year together and they're still young, so they're still a ways away? Could Sacramento be much better? What do you think? So I have the Pelicans rating out really, really well. Um, I have the Pelicans rated out as about the 11th best offensive team in the NBA, which is much higher than most people. Um, and then I have them defensively being great. <clears throat> with Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Derek Favors, um, they're lacking some wing depth with the injury to Darius Miller. But I think you know they're going to have to be small. They'll have to play Jason Hart probably with Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday for minutes. Um, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Um, and they, so I have them very high. I have Phoenix as good offensively, above average offensively this year. So I have them probably as about the 10th team in the West instead of 15th, like most people do. Um, uh, just in the East, I have Brooklyn way better than most people. That's kind of a big pick I have is the Brooklyn, the move from an inefficient D'Angelo Russell to an efficient Kyrie Irving is being forgotten because all anybody can talk about, um, is the fact that they don't have Kevin Durant this year. I actually think they'll be about the third or fourth best team in the Eastern Conference and then without Durant. Um, what else I got for you? What else you want to know? Is that good? Is that what you were looking for? That's pretty good. I, I like that. And we're, I, we're about I it. I have the King. I have the King still average. I have Dallas average offensively, but that really is based on – I don't have Luka making a big jump this year just because I don't think really good rookies make a jump from year one to year two. Like Donovan didn't make a big jump last year and – nor did Jason Tatum, and none of those guys did because they don't. That doesn't happen. It happens year two to year three. Um, so Trey Young and Luka Doncic, I have as very similar players as they were a year ago. So you think Mitchell's going to make a big jump? Uh, if there's going to be a jump in his career, it's happening. It's going to happen now. Camp feels like he's primed for it, so we'll see. Okay, that's interesting. All right, last thing I want to know. The golf clubs were gone. And then oh. suddenly they were back. I beg for details on Twitter. I got a lot of retweets and likes of that. That really surprised me. I mean, they just kind of threw it out there. So what the heck happened? Did a, someone just carry him away by a, mistake? So kind of a wild story, and I, there's like a mystery element, too, still that doesn't make sense. So just giving you the really quick version, which I'm not usually good at, uh, because of when they, this flight got scanned and when luckily my teenage daughter sent a text, we could take a five-minute window of which the, which the clubs disappeared. The police were incredibly helpful, um, and surveillance video showed somebody taking them off the um, rack and walking away with them, which wouldn't be that big a deal if there was another set of clubs out there that looked exactly like those, and you just said, oh, this guy grabbed the wrong thing. But for whatever reason, there was no other clubs. So, you know, at the end of the whole thing, we sat there with nothing on that, rack and there was nothing there and we were there for about an hour and a half afterwards dealing with stuff and it never came and so it got obviously really nerve-wracking i finally um just because of her golf schedule it wasn't one of those things where we could wait a week or two or three to find out if somebody called us and had the club he's got tournaments coming up and didn't have anything to play with so i was about to spend an awful large amount of money 
at night to buy her a brand new set of clubs. And uh, so I actually just went back down to Delta and kind of forced my way into the back of the baggage claim. And there was a guy down there named Luis Garcia, who was just incredible. Luis Garcia, uh, you're fabulous. Find me. I'll get you to a game. Um, he was the best. And he, we went back into the back of baggage claim and found actually a bag that was exactly like my daughter's, researched it, found the guy, and he had accidentally picked up my daughter's clubs, but he had not looked at them and not seen the, you know, the little Hawaiian turtle or all the stickers on it that had phone numbers on it to call us and tell us that, that it was the wrong one. So, um, luckily we got them found. And, um, the only part of the story that's really funny is that, um, he got the call. He had, he's a locked on sports follower on Twitter. So he had been following the story and thought to himself, boy, what an A beep for someone <laughs> taking this kid's clubs. And then when he got the call from Delta, he just said his heart just sunk and suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I am that. <laughs> so that was the pretty funny part. Nice guy, BYU fan um, out in Utah County. And we met and transferred, had a nice conversation. And um, so it was all. It, was, it, it turned out fine because we got the clubs. It was pretty nerve-wracking, and she was pretty broken. And um, it's interesting, you know. The clubs were replaceable. All the stuff that was inside the bag was not. And that was probably um, the one that had me broken. Is she's very diligent about taking notes from about. So she has a little folder that has pairs of notes from lessons that she's taken that was in the bag, and that was going to be gone. And that institutional knowledge that she's really worked very hard to be diligent about her game would have been really sad to lose. But she's got it back, so we're all good. All right. Well. If that's the worst thing going on, too, there's also celebrate that. PK and I were talking about that. And I will also tell you this. You need to tell your daughter this, that I once stole a rental car. So that's kind of an embarrassing <laughs> story. It was the day of the Utes National Championship game with Kentucky, and I had to do talking sports on Saturday and Sunday and then fly in. And I'm tired and I disoriented. I get a rental car because this is 1998. We, we don't have Uber mm-hmm. and all that, right? I get the rental car. I drive to the hotel. And I just got to check in and drop stuff in my room and then go over to the arena and, and do some TV stuff. And Dave Fox and Jeremy Castro are already down there. They've been down there all weekend because of the semifinals on Saturday. So I, I go to the guy, hey, can you not valet this thing? Can we just leave it? And he said, yeah, leave it over there against the wall. But he said, leave the keys in it in case they have to move it, because they're not supposed to do this. So I run in, I check in, I go up to my room, you know, ride the elevator up, throw my stuff in a room, run back down, change into the TV gear up there, right? Run back down, get in the car, and then the Alamo Dome is basically on the other side of the freeway from the two Marriott's there on the Riverwalk. So it's like three minutes, and I'm there. I pull into the parking lot. And I had, I had some stuff I had to get out of the car, the TV gear I had to take for them. And so I find the guys, and Jeremy's like, hey, I'll help you carry it. So we go back to the rental car. As we walk up, he goes, dude, what do you got a baby seat in the back for? I'm like, what? Oh, my God. I got the wrong car. Oh, no. And he just looks at me, shakes his head, starts laughing. I pop in the car. I pop in the car. It's two and a half minutes back to the hotel, right? I pull in. Sure enough, same make, same model. Some probably did the same same color, and they did the same thing with the keys in it. And there's when I drive up, there's nobody around. The valet guy isn't there. He's off doing whatever, getting a car or whatever. I pull in right next to my car, which is still there. Get out, leave the keys in it get in my car, drive back with the TV gear that had been at the hotel, not there. And as far as I know, nobody ever knew it was probably caught on a security camera, but nobody ever talked to me. So my guess is they were up in their room for 15 minutes, and I somehow hit that window just right, and it wasn't a thing. But if you see Jeremy Castor, you ask him, did you once look at a car in San Antonio, a DJ, and go, dude, what do you got a baby seat for? (laughs) 
Classic. That's so great. Can I share? I know we're way late. Can I share one that's not as good as that, but it's pretty funny? Go. So, uh, came really close friends with some people on a vacation. They live in Seattle. We lived here. They they turned out turned out to be like our closest friends. In fact, my wife was at the Seahawks game with them and their kids last night. And so he drives down for Portland and to see me, and we're going to go have a lunch together um, when the Jazz are playing Portland. So I go. It happens to be Nike Hoop Summit, so I'm at the Rose Garden, and I'm in, and he says, "Hey, I'm just parked outside." Well, this is this crazy successful businessman is totally humble and he says to me like i'm in a gray car well it turns out he's like in a porsche cheyenne and he just doesn't want to say that to me so he's really obtuse about what the car is so he tells me where he's parked so i'm like running around and pretty excited to see him and walk around the outside and so i see this like land cruiser i'm like all right that makes sense like not you know one of those four whatever those toyota whatever they are and so I run up to the passenger seat and I open the door really lock-esque aggressively with all sorts of energy and dive into the front seat of the car and this woman screams. <laughs> oh, man. David. And I scream and I jump out of the car and run down the street. And that poor woman oh, probably my She's calling. Be all right. She's calling the cops right now. This freak <laughs> hopped into my car. I feared for my life. I can hear that right now. Uh, all right. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm man. so sorry. Um, but I actually never said, like, sorry or anything like that. I just, like, ran away. <laughs> wow. All right, David. Thanks for a few minutes. Hey, we appreciate it. All, All right. right D- bye.